1: Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing that we can promise is that our conversation will be relaxing so that you can feel free to drift off or just listen and relax. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. Follow us at Listen and Sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and I'm... Very excited to welcome back Becca Barker for a part two, or actually our first part two episode. Becca, welcome.
0: Hi, thanks for having me, Marco. Now,
1: Becca, we also, prior to recording, we're talking about our experience with 80s alternative bands mm-hmm. and concerts we went to. And I have a little clip that we might play as a extra. Mm-hmm. So uh, I invite our listeners to look out for that. It won't be as... Relaxing, but maybe they'll get a laugh no, or two. No, it's,
0: it's, yeah, it's 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 for when you want to wake up. Right. There yeah. you go.
1: So we were talking about sea slugs, mm-hmm. and we were really getting into the sort of meat of sea slugs, not the actual meat of sea slugs, but we were getting into the nitty-gritty, and we got to the end of our episode, so I said we'd have a part two. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about sea slugs. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, I'm happy to talk more about the Dendronotus frondosus.
1: Which is the sea slug that you did your thesis on, That's correct?
0: right, um, which I did over 20 years ago right. now. So, so who knows what is known in the world about these little guys? Fair enough. Well, I shouldn't actually even just say guys because, as I mentioned before, they're actually hermaphroditic. Right. Right. Um, this is part of the charm of them and, and actually so many animals. Um, they're simultaneously hermaphroditic, which means they have um, both male and female reproductive parts active at the same time Right. and um, when we left off last time I was talking about their life cycle So um, they only live for one year they have an annual life cycle and when we left off we had sort of I sort of talked about the beginnings of their lives and um, that wasn't really part of my study Um, and so tonight we're going to actually start with the, the stuff that I studied
1: exactly, and yeah. if you want to listen to uh, what we were talking about before, episode twenty-five, you will hear everything you need to know about sea slugs up until this point right here. Mm-hmm. In particular, the dentinotus,
0: dendronotus, dendronotus. Yeah.
1: front. I'm going to say it. You right. got it. Frond, no, so You got it. There, there you, you go. go.
0: Just like you, you just said it like you've been saying it for years. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um. So when these little sea slugs hit their juvenile phase, um, it's kind of like their teenage years or their okay. teenage times. Would I this guess.
1: be like three months into... Because they only live a year. So. That's right.
0: Yeah, I'd say, um, yeah, three or four months in, okay. like the first third of their lives is, is over. Right. Um, and so now they look like the sea slug that they look like as an adult. They're just mm-hmm. smaller. And so... Um, in the early, at the end of the summer and in the early fall, they start to settle on the rocks and on the seaweed in the intertidal zone. So, the, the part of the uh, beach where sometimes at high tide it's covered in water, but at low tide it's not.
1: And this is the Bay of Fundy we're talking about.
0: Yes, the ones that I studied live specifically on the um, New Brunswick side of the Bay of Fundy. There you go. And so, um, in October and November, when they were sort of late adolescent phase i guess uh i the rebellious age. that's right i collected uh samples of them uh and then after a couple more months i went back out in february oh yeah it was, it was kind of cold and uh i picked more samples of them so i picked them uh when they were and when i say pick them i make it sound like fruit i guess but sure. they were it did feel like when you pick them off the rocks, it does feel okay. like you're sort of harvesting fruit, I suppose. But, um, so I, I gathered some that were, uh, October, November, sort of, sort of early adulthood. And then February sort of much later on when they were fully mature. I see. So, cause I wanted to have some sense of the development, uh, that they underwent in that time.
1: And would you put them in a pail to bring them back to yes. the lab?
0: Yeah. We would fill pails with seawater Okay. and then we'd put the sea slugs in the seawater. Um, and keep them alive, and uh, bring them back to the lab at uh, Mount Allison, um, where I did my degree, and um, kept them alive in aquaria for uh, until the time that I needed to, unfortunately, kill them and then study them. Fair enough. So, um, so a whole bunch of little sea slugs gave their lives for me to get my degree. I suppose uh-huh. I learned a lot.
1: That's great, um, and now our listeners will
0: benefit from that. I hope so. Okay. Um, so. The part that I studied in the sea slug was um, their ovotestes. Oh. And that's an organ that's found in um, a lot of simultaneous hermaphrodites. Um, as the name suggests, ovo and testes, it is the organ that produces both egg and sperm sure. for the animal. So, I mean, let that sink in for a second. There's one organ in these animals that produces both the you know, male and female parts for reproduction. Right. So that in itself is fairly interesting, I think. Sure. Um, and so my task in my thesis was to chart that development. So my questions that guided me were like, how well how does this organ develop? Um, it was already known that they don't auto fertilize, which oh, they means don't. no, okay. they're not able to fertilize themselves. Sure. There are sort of um, evolutionary mechanisms that prevent that from happening. Okay. Because you know yeah if that if they could do that then they would just sort of be you know it, it genetically that would um lead to weaker offspring right right it's too much the same of course which if i mean it's for the same reasons why we don't interbreed or in, or um, or uh, interbreed's not the right word but we don't um you know marry our siblings
1: unless you're in the royal family
0: unless you're in the royal family so and these were not royal sea slugs. Fair. So, um, Yeah, so they we know they don't auto-fertilize, but we did know that the organ developed uh, in such a way that it would produce eggs and sperm at the same time. So that's kind of fascinating. Sure. So I had to figure out, how does it do that? Um, and so what I did was I um, um, created microscope slides out of thin sections of the uh, some of the animals from the October batch, some from the November batch and then finally from the February batch. So I could get a sense through their adult life of what, what did this organ look like at different points in time? Sure. Um, and what I found was that, um, the organ started off just as like a a circular lobe, like a balloon almost. And, um, and it's hard. It was hard to see any particular sperm cells or egg cells at that point. Now, how could I tell if a it cell was a sperm cell or an egg cell? No, I was
1: actually just thinking that. I know it sounds predictable, but I was like, how would you be able to tell, especially with this this particular right. animal, right?
0: Well, um, the um, egg cells uh, typically, especially when you, when you uh, use the staining, um, the stain that I was using, um, would be first of all they'd be colored very differently from sperm cells. Okay. Um but they'd also be the size is just completely different, right? Egg cells are energetically there's we say they're energetically expensive. Okay. Meaning it takes a lot of resources in the animal's body to produce them because they have to contain pretty much everything that the developing fetus needs, right? right? Except for half of the chromosomes which is what the sperm provides. Sure. Right. So um so they tend to be very large cells um uh sperm cells by contrast are very tiny and of course as we know sperm have uh, just a little the little nucleus they're part of the cell they're part of um the DNA that they're contributing to the animal being created and um and a flagellum which is the tail
1: right and so, so even the sea slug yep yeah. same yeah. okay
0: yeah yeah yeah, and that's kind of fascinating. Like a lot of species, almost, I don't know if it's all species, but almost every species I can recall studying, that's the way it is. Egg there cells are these big, bulky, energetically expensive things. Sperm are uh, energetically inexpensive. They're very easy to produce in mass quantities. It doesn't tax the animal energetically. Right. Um, takes nothing to make them. And so, go. which is why they can be made in such abundance, I suppose. So. What I found was at first the um I couldn't see any cells that were really distinguishable as egg or sperm. Okay. In uh this would have been in the first batch in October.
1: Um And were you expecting to see that?
0: Well the reading I had done had indicated that most of the time in in the sea slugs, um there was what is called a a, a germinal layer of cells, germinal okay. cells. And uh, so the sac, so if you can imagine a sort of balloon, mm-hmm. um, being this, the organ, the ovotestes, as in that age of the animal, uh, the October animals. Um, so let's, let's put a, an age to them. Um, they would have been, let's say they were like, I don't know, 17.
1: So they're adolescent. Basically. Adolescent, okay. late adolescence. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, just post puberty, I guess. Okay. I mean, it's really not equivalent, so I probably shouldn't be using those terms. Fair, because... but just
1: for, for for sake of knowing the sort of right, year span of the animal where they're at. Sure.
0: So imagine a balloon, but that balloon is lined on the inside mm-hmm. with all of these tiny cells that look the same; that are just little round blobs. And I remember them as being purple because I used Milgan's trichrome stain, okay, which um, which colors. Uh, Um, that material a bright purple color
1: is that the preferred stain to use when working with sea
0: slugs well the stain you choose has a lot to do with what it is you're looking for and what kind of biological material you want to investigate wow and so um yeah so two popular stains which i used one was a sort of i can't remember the name of it actually but it was a pink and purple stain okay and the um but the one that was my favorite is Milligan's trichrome? That's probably why I remember the name okay. of it. And trichrome, as the name suggests, has three colors. It's a very colorful stain, and so it stains things uh, purple and turquoise and pink.
1: Oh, that's cool yeah. colors to be staining things. Totally yeah.
0: right. And so the um, and there was a third one that I tried actually just to try it, but it, I don't remember it working out very well. Um, but um, yeah, so for example, if Something that you really want to look for in your slides is, um, um, I don't know, like a a collagen material. Or um, if you're looking for a particular kind of cell that has a certain kind of uh, material in it. Maybe something that's got a lot of protein in it or something. um, uh, Different stains will sort of highlight or sort of make certain... Things, certain biological materials pop. Um, And that's the cool thing about stains, right? Right. So that was probably my favorite part of the whole project, as you can probably tell. Well, it's one of my favorite things.
1: As an artist, you know, (laughs) I would, I would, I would, it stands to reason that would be one of your favorite parts. Yeah. Have you ever used that stain in your artwork?
0: Well, I'll tell you what I did do. Okay. Uh, When I was completing my thesis and when I was staining all my slides, something i probably should not have done but i did
1: the rebellious was i
0: i took the uh some of the stain the different colors with a with a little pipette or a little uh stir stick Mm -hmm. and i would sort of on the back of my lab coat because we all had lab coats i actually sort of painted a little sea slug oh but the stain some of the staining materials is um not really good for you okay so it's probably not something i should have done but right. it looked really cool i had this sort of pink and orange profile of a sea slug on my back
1: on that, my lab
0: coat that's awesome so and i think that's because i spent so many hours in the lab sure um with various slightly hazardous materials <laughs> and there was a vent but maybe i could have used it more anyway um
1: back to the slugs yes
0: i don't want to get my thesis advisor in trouble or anything
1: well they wouldn't have known that you were doing it was the 90s things sure
0: well he did come in at one point over the christmas break and he was like you really need to turn the fan on in here (laughs) because after a while you just can't smell anything you're just like la 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 having fun yep carefree in the lab (laughs) over christmas holidays (laughs) as you do um so um yeah, so the, but the Milligan's trichrome was my favorite stain, and it and I remember it staining the uh, the germinal layer of cells, which is that sort of the 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 only kind of cell that's in the ovotestes in the late um, adolescent phase of the animal, um, dyed it a bright purple, um, and so these germinal cells. Um it, I mean germinal cells is a general term okay. for any layer of cells that can become something else that can become more specialized. I see. Right. So there's sort of like um yeah, like the the basic cell, I guess. Right. And um and as the animal grows, um the germinal cells sort of become separate into two different layers. So would
1: it be like a stem cell we're talking here?
0: Um I, th- you know, see, this and, is where I'm very the- rusty. But it's, I it's I think not- those are slightly different concepts, okay. but. That is something that we can all look up after this awesome. podcast. And I don't mean
1: to too. to sort of paint you in a corner with that. No, just... that's
0: fine. I'm comfortable with not knowing things awesome. now that I'm over forty. What's it's... funny is <laughs> I'm
1: I'm coming to know so much by just doing these podcasts. So
0: <laughs> I, I could probably look it up on my phone. No, no, while we're I,
1: let's 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 keep going.
0: But it's 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 not a it's not a completely dissimilar concept, okay. I'll say that. It is sort of like a basic cell that can turn into something else. Perfect. You know, it may wind up being the same thing. But I just remember we were calling them germinal. And for some reason, I remember germinal epithelium. And I guess that makes sense because the lining of the organ would be a sort of epithelium. I see. Yeah. I have no
1: idea what an epithelium well, is.
0: Well, epithelium is your skin, basically. So it's any layer of cells that is the sort of covering layer. Oh,
1: so epidermis is what we call our our
0: skin. Oh, epidermis. Yeah, right. So it's, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, that's, that's the same. It's, a, same it's concept. the same concept. Okay. Yep. But
1: this is the sea slug's skin,
0: the the inside skin it, of their ovotestis. Oh my
1: goodness! Okay, so there so we go. So specific. No, we've got to so be specific. specific. This is part two. You know, that's if we're not right. specific on this episode. Then what are we doing? Exactly.
0: So, um, yeah. So, so a very undifferentiated, just sort of sack of these little cells. So, if you just imagine these sort of purple, I don't know, pearls that were that sort of line the inside of a balloon. That's basically what the ovotestis looks like when the animal is a little better than halfway into its life. Um, and then what was interesting was the next month's batch of sea right. slugs all had this peculiar, um, I'm going to say pigmentation, yeah, on parts of their ova testes. Okay. Now, what I just described to you with the balloon and that sort of um, purple layer of cells from the stain is what I saw on the inside when I made thin, thin sections of the animal. Um, Because we had to, we were responsible for making all our own slides from scratch, right? Right. Which was one, that was the other part that I loved the most. So the two things I loved the most about my thesis were basically the things that were closest to doing studio work. Right. Yeah. So. This was
1: prior to you doing studio oh, work. Oh,
0: yes. Yeah. So yeah. the
1: C-slug kind of introduced you to studio work and, and made it, you the artist way, you are today.
0: Kind of. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop making slides. At one point, my thesis advisor was like, you have, like, 1,100 slides, you're fine. I'm like, but I just want to keep making them. Right. Because the whole process was so interesting um, because the uh, – I'm, I'm going to sort of go on Please. a bit of a tangent. Please. Well, the animal, like you and I, um, we would say they're hydrophilic, right? They're full of water. Right. Right? Water um, is sort of within their systems and their bodies. Well, when you create microscope slides of an animal for light microscopy, which is done less and less nowadays, and that's another thing, I tend to like obsolete technologies or technologies on the cusp of being obsolete, and this was definitely on the cusp of being obsolete at the time. Amazing. Um, Yeah, when you're preparing cells for light microscopy, um, you have to embed them in wax, and that's how you can make... Fin slivers of the animal without losing the shape or the form of the cells. Oh, and so you can't just take a watery animal and throw it in a chunk of molten wax. Sure, because the cell, um, the cell membranes would rupture, uh, and so you just have a, a, a mess. Right, right. You would, you there'd be no animal to look at. It would just be a pile of weird goo. Sort of um, like
1: in the remake of The Fly when the baboon goes into the chamber. And it comes out on the other side.
0: I'm trying to remember. Like, I saw David
1: Cronenberg. It was with I didn't the, see okay. that. I saw the oh, old one,
0: but wait, did he wait? The remake of the fly was that the, the one with fly. Jeff Goldblum. That's the one. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. There you yeah.
1: go. Yeah, anyways, back to Seaslux. I'm sure.
0: Um, yeah, so what you have to do is you have to take these watery animals and you put them through a series of baths solutions oh. and the solutions go from being very generally they go from being all water based mm-hmm. to through alcohol and alcohol is the key so you start with like uh you start with like you know 100 percent, you know watery type stuff um and then the next bath you put it in for the next you know 10 minutes or whatever it'll be 70 percent water 30 percent um ethanol Oh. And then the next one will be like 50 50. Oh. And then the next one will be like more ethanol than water. And so you kind of do it in these slow phases. Right. Because the ethanol, alcohol, um, chemically is something that goes fine with water. Right. It'll combine with water just fine. But it will also kind of start, it will kind of combine with something that's hydrophobic. Oh. So that was sort of the link. So you have a, um, you have a, you start with water or something that's, I actually don't remember what the first bath was, but it was something that was like water. Sure. And then you run it through a series of maybe five phases that were the proportions of water to alcohol change, sort of like a spectrum or a mm-hmm. continuum, I guess. Um, where at the end of it, you're at like 95% or 100% ethanol, which, by the way, if you ever dared drink it, would kill you immediately. Well, I'm glad you did. And that was the it. first thing they warned us when right. they let us loose in the lab right. in fourth year. It's like, don't drink the ethanol, you will die. That's
1: a that's a great tip.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a pro tip from my thesis advisor. Um, and um and so after it's uh a hundred percent ethanol. So you can imagine you have this very thin, like just a couple of micrometers thick section of an animal um embedded in, in wax. Uh it goes from the alcohol to uh, you know, there was another um Chemical uh, in the step between the alcohol and the wax, and to be honest, I don't remember what that was. Um, but uh, but there was um, it was something that helped um, infiltrate the wax into the animal.
1: Oh, I see.
0: Without breaking the cell membranes. Wow. Right. Like you have to be super careful. So uh, there was in- infiltrating the wax so that it would get into the animal, and basically. Almost plasticify it, um, and then once that's done, the whole thing would go into hot molten uh, a hot molten cup of wax Wow, a little cube right like an ice cube tray almost mm-hmm. and then after that hardened and dried, then you take out that block of wax, attach it to the end of a machine called a rotary microtome mm-hmm. and what the microtome does is well, you know those um, those machines they use when they're slicing salami or whatever right. right? Sure. It's sort of like that. Okay. Um, only instead of sort of pushing the, um, the item you're slicing back and forth, side to side, um, it is held stationary, and um, the blade is actually what moves. Oh, okay. It moves up from the bottom and slices a thin rectangular section, um, just a few micrometers thick, upward in an upward motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can slice through the animal... Uh, longitudinally from the left side of the animal to the right side or you can slice through the animal cross-sectionally from the head to the tail um, and it all depends on which way you orient it when you put it in the microtome um, and so I would get these sections of animals where I'd be like oh here's the very tip of the left side oh now we're going inside the animal a little bit oh now we're at the halfway point point," and so that was how I could locate the ovatestes.
1: wow that's fascinating
0: yeah well, um I certainly think it is, and um, it's kind of an interesting way to see something through space and time when you see it in sections sure um, anyhow uh, so I did this with um, with my samples from all three uh, times that I collected them right the October, the November, and the February uh, groups and um, so i I yeah, so I personally took them through this process of um, turning them into little wax cubes basically and then thinly slicing those wax cubes um and here's if you can imagine uh, and because i know this is a podcast and i have to use my words to be visual um the uh these sections these are sorry this these cubes of wax were maybe about a centimeter by a centimeter by a centimeter wow very small sure um and then as you slice you get these sort of centimeter by centimeter squares right Mm -hmm. now the neat thing is the um the blade of the rotary microtome um goes up slices upward and then comes down and then goes in and slices upward the thing that it just sliced that square that it just sliced actually stays on the tip of the microtome in such a way that the next slice you make kind of attaches itself to the past one and do you know what it looks like after you do five or six slices it looks like The most adorable strip of toilet paper. Really, But it's actually wax with little thin sections of animal on it. And then very carefully and without breathing on it, you pluck that strip with tweezers. Because if you use your hands, it'll melt the wax. Oh, my
1: goodness.
0: And you um, float it very gently on the top, on the surface of a, a warm water bath that's not moving at all. Right. And then you take a microscope slide that's been treated with gelatin, so it's got a sticky sort of um, surface on it, and you carefully slide it underneath the water, under where your um, floating bits that looks like toilet paper is floating, the the piece of animal. And then you very carefully raise the slide up to the surface from underneath, the sections you've created in such a way that the sections don't fall off the slide, but the water does. And then you have to, um, let it dry. And then once you've let it dry, then you can run it through your series of stains and the stains have to remove the surrounding wax to leave just the animal and then infuse the color, which attaches to different biological materials within the animal.
1: And then you put it in the microscope.
0: Yes, and then and then you well and then you um you you use a very um cancer causing um um goo right uh, to um adhere the top of the microscope slide onto the main slide like the cover the glass slip cover. Um and so that's the final step and
1: creating slides well there you go well we'll have to find out more about sea slugs because we just got to the sort of adolescent stage that's right and we've come to the end of this podcast so
0: I assure you the conclusion is not so exciting that you won't be able to sleep fair but it's I found some pretty neat stuff well then listeners
1: look out for episode 3 on sea slugs Becca Parker I want to thank you for bringing us episode 2 and when you're back in town or when I'm in your town we'll do episode 3
0: I cannot
1: wait. Thank you. You've been listening to The Insomnia Project, as always. We are produced by Drumcast Productions, and this episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada.